This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to the latest edition of the Odds and Audible's podcast. I'm Matt Preem, Eric Scopel, Jerry Mack on the show. Welcome to your Monday mailbag. Uh, spring game is in the books later today. All three of us will go speak with coordinators and that will be the final availability, uh, for spring football. So, uh, we're going to recap the spring game a little bit in, in a way of which you guys as a fan base, as listeners watched the spring game, just like we did. And now you have questions. We're going to try and answer those. Yeah, I think this is a good way to recap it. Let's get some fan interaction here so first one from at skoducks for life i was very impressed with jay's performance all spring at the spring game i thought ty struggled the most of the three do you all think it was ty having an off day or the weapons around him i felt like yellow team had the better offensive skill and defensive players great game nonetheless um agree it was a great game i don't think anyone's going to debate that that was a really fun time honestly i think going back and having watched the highlights that was one of the more fun yeah. spring events we've had and I don't know since I've been covering it maybe up there for the best um in terms of the better skill players like that that is I wouldn't disagree I mean I think we talked about it in our preview of like I thought the three players I was most excited to watch were all in yellow on offense at the same time Jay also had those same players and I think it was 10 for 13 with the green team uh while Ty was 12 for 27 with the green team so um, I'm not totally buying the Ty had the worst players, so he didn't have a very good day angle because Jay at times played with the same group and had a little bit more, at least more consistent effort. So um, I think it's, I, 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 I would obviously agree. I, I think we all would. I, I picked Jay as our, that's a quarterback standout from the game, not because I thought he played better than Bo, but just because it was to me a little more unexpected and spoke to a more competitive competition for that number two spot so i'm in total agreement there i did think you know ty had a tough day we talked about that on the post game review podcast um I, what, what was what attributed that for ty like I, I think he's probably the slowest processor of the group and i thought he struggled there i think if you go back and watch i think he had three drops that were probably catchable too and maybe if he's 15 for 27 for 210 yards it looks a little better and we're not quite being so uh, critical at the same time, like it's through more completions he could have had, and he still wasn't perfect. And the two interceptions he had were both pretty bad. Um, you know, the first one, I didn't think Spencer Webb, having gone back and watched it, did him any favors on the one that was behind him. I thought Spencer's effort wasn't really great to try to reach back with one hand, not that the ball was well placed at all. Um, but the second one was really just a complete misread, and he threw it right to Keith Brown. So it was a bad day for Ty. I think you see the upside. I think you see why he's such a highly regarded kid coming out of high school. I think you also see this is you kind of have better understanding for why Anthony Brown was the starter all the way through last season because I think it's pretty clear Ty has a lot of work to do to catching up to game speed. I, I wrote a story on DuckTerritory.com after the game that I think Nick's is the starter. And we talked on the podcast afterwards that 
I pose the question, is the battle really more for number two between Jay and Ty? Um, I Look, I, I told Eric and Jared off record every time that they had a scrimmage during spring ball, I talked to somebody, um, and Ty's struggles were all, always brought up um, as something that was observant to people that were able to watch scrimmages or watch a practice. And, you know, I, I said that was a concern and, you know, we'd have to see what it would look like on the spring game. And you don't want to make too much of one performance, good or bad, but Ty's struggles throughout spring have, you know, every time someone's gone to watch practice and that I know they've always brought that up. And I think you don't want to 100% say he's, you know, not going to win the job, but I think that's notable that every time someone watches a practice or for us, when we got to see a spring game, he didn't perform. He himself said he played poor. I, I, I and the, the one thing I would say though, is, is we have this weird like expectation that you have to be good right away. And keep in mind, like Ty still hasn't completed his first full year of football at Oregon. Like, He's still in, he's just either at year one or just about to complete year one at Oregon. So, like, I'm not concerned. I'm not worried because 15 years ago, like, there wasn't even an expectation that Ty would play in his first two years at Oregon. For some reason, now the expectation is he has to be good day one he steps on campus. For some people. I think, for sure, for a lot of people. I think the last part of your, your segment right there is important. Um, to answer the question in general, the, the yellow team certainly had the better skill players, but like Eric mentioned, you know, Jay was pretty darn good with the green team. I thought that the green team had a better offensive line, so maybe that, or maybe not better in talent, but better like diversified. It was more balanced than the yellow team. Um, so maybe that kind of offsets the skill position advantage. Um, I think for Ty, he was just really inconsistent, and I think that's always what you see from a younger quarterback. Um, he was, he started out really slow and then was like, from our handheld stats from, uh, Jared Denny at, at scoop.com three, he was like seven of 11 or eight of 12 after that. And then he kind of was cold the next six to 10 passes. Um, I, that's just kind of what you'd expect from a freshman quarterback. Um, and he wasn't, wasn't consistent. He wasn't, um, you know, reading, reading plays well. I thought that both Jay and Todd, or excuse me, Jay and Bo did better. Um, I rewatched the game. It's kind of hard for me to look at the stats and be like, this is, this is a concrete evidence of what, what really happened. Because when you rewatch the game, there's like 10 sacks that go uncalled. And a lot of those came on completions. And some of them were big plays for both, like for, for all the quarterbacks. And so it's, it's kind of tough to really make a judgment on just stats alone. I know that the stats are going to you know have a lot of people thinking whether or not that who was better between Jay and Ty. Um, yeah, but I thought Ty was super inconsistent. And like Matt mentioned, he's still yet to finish his first first year of college. Um, he's still just months removed away from a, a football season, just like plenty of the players are. And I think in, in due time, these improvements will come. Like I mentioned on the podcast after the game, you know, every quarterback on the field today, you saw their potential. You saw their ability to potentially grow into being one of those starting quarterbacks in the Pac-12. 
and I still feel like that for time. I still feel like he has the most upside. I think right now Jay is probably a little bit ahead if they're not just tied for the second spot, uh, which will make the fall camp competition pretty pretty important and pretty fun to watch and, and hear about. Um, but yeah, it looks like there's probably a pretty easy hierarchy for the quarterback spot now in terms of who's going to be the number one guy coming out of spring camp. Jared, you mentioned the fact that quarterbacks were non-contact and how that impacted some of the passing. I think it's notable that that erased some of the, probably the run offense, which I yeah. do think there will be some RPO stuff. And that might be an area where probably Bo is the most adept based upon his athletic kind mm-hmm. of skill set. So I think we are seeing the offense probably not all of not I shouldn't say probably we're not seeing all the offense we're not seeing everything they want to do out there and I think some of that might favor Ty over Jay and Jay is not known to be a great runner but I also don't know about Jay is is how adept he is with kind of the ball handling there um because that's a big component of it too so I I know obviously they're going to tailor the offense around the skills the skilled players and, and the talent they have and if Jay ends up being hypothetically if it's in 22 or 23 probably more likely 23 I think we all agree Bo is ahead right now if hypothetically he's the quarterback in 23, they'll tailor an offense that doesn't force Jay to be running the ball very much or doesn't put him in disadvantageous positions in that regard. So I I wanted to include that part because I think it's um, somewhat notable about the discussion when you're when you're looking at um, the quarterback position because I think some of it gets, as as Jared said, it, some of it is hard because the pressures were hard to kind of manage and understand because um, like Ty's best pass to Chris Hudson, he was pretty clearly sacked. Um, there yeah. were other plays like DJ Johnson came around the edge and it would have been like a strip sack for either a touchdown or a turnover for the other side and said it's just a sack. I mean, there was a bunch of and there were several times where uh, yeah, where plays continued when they shouldn't have. So um, I think that part makes it a little hard to analyze it. But I still think everybody comes away feeling like Bo had the best day and, and Jay then tie in that order. Um, and then just the last question that or last point that Skoducks make here about the yellow team having better defensive players. Uh, I'm just going to say DJ Johnson was on the green team. So I'm going to like just kind of patently disagree with that. All right. <laughs> the second question from at Devin Knightling, hashtag Ots and Audibles. How important do you guys think it was for Dan Lanning's offensive coordinator, Kenny Dillingham, to come out during the spring game and essentially show off that all three quarterbacks are capable of making explosive plays? The receivers have legit talent and recognize a shortcoming from a year ago. Um, I mean, I said at the top, that was a really fun spring game in part because like the first quarter was just shot down field, shot down field, shot down field, and they connected on a bunch of them. Um, you know, I think that's such a, a, a change of kind of offensive energy and the, the stadium the energy was different. I, I mean, I think, and we talked about this a little bit, not a little, we talked about this a lot last fall. Oregon was winning football games, but it wasn't always the most fun to watch. Yeah. Obviously, you wouldn't trade losing football games for a fun style, and no one should trade that. But the offense being a little fun and having a spring game where there's some explosive passing plays, sure, that was that, everybody enjoyed watching that. And we'll see in the fall together. <laughs> and if this if this if this results in more victories and more success, because ultimately that's what matters. But absolutely, was it of value for I think the fan base to see it, for the recruits there to see it, for the skill players and the quarterbacks and the receivers and everybody out there to be a part of it. We, we talk, how many players this, this spring do we talk to an offense who just said they were having a lot more, it, I shouldn't say, they didn't compare it, but they just said they're having a lot of fun. And did they compare it, Jared, with somebody? Did somebody say they're having I, more fun? Yeah, there were a couple guys that we talked to that said that they were just having more fun. 
more fun. Okay, so maybe they yeah. did. But my, my point is, like, it's it's clear this is an offense that allows for more big plays and more explosive plays and that will test the defense in different ways than the previous staff's offense. And absolutely, I think it was a value for Dillingham to have because there was a lot of narratives, and I think some of them probably fair, some of them not, about questioning his capabilities in this role because he hasn't been the quote-unquote full-time architect of an offense before. It's been an offensive coordinator, but that's been under Mike Norvell, but that's been under Gus Malzahn, who were both primary play callers. There was a lot of questions about how he would handle it, and for a spring game to come out like this and for the offense to have over 600 yards passing, to have five touchdowns, um, I, I think you can't you know, minimize just kind of the value of that and for the quarterbacks, too, to, to have some success and for all of them to have success. I, I mean, I think you know, top to bottom, the offense, you have to feel pretty good about some of the highs. And then, as we said before, the caveat is there were a lot of mistakes. And it wasn't mm-hmm. just the turnovers. A lot of sacks could have been probably more sacks, arguably. Um, a lot of offensive like alignment issues. There were six false starts in this game. A couple holds that brought back big plays. Like There were a lot of things on offense to work on, but... Absolutely. I think you come away feeling like, hey, that was just a lot more fun style offense to watch. I, the, the last part, I think, that you brought up of like the, the issues, I agree there were certainly things to, to fix. But some of the sacks, I feel like, or some of the you know, blown up run plays or what have you, um, would have been different if this was a real game. Because we have to remember, like, we had DJ Johnson going up against Opie sometimes uh, in, sure. in in offensive tackle, defensive end matchups. And that's one that, like, if DJ Johnson is going to have the, the type of year we should we expect him to have, like, he should win that battle consistently. And he did, which is, like, confirmation. Um, and so, like, I would be curious to see, like, what DJ Johnson would have done against um, – a, a starting offensive line caliber player like a Bass um, or a Jones or Sala, what have you. But I mean, I had to answer the original question by Devin. I had a former Oregon Duck player who went on to the NFL DM me during the game. This is exactly what Dillingham needed to, to show for recruiting purposes. Like, so you weren't the only one to think that. And I, I think there is some some logic behind that. I mean, they didn't, as Butterfield told Eric, like they didn't give away even close to the full playbook, the whole gamut of what they have offensively from a scheme standpoint. Um, and I think a lot of the game, like similar plays were ran, um, very basic formation type stuff. And yet the scheming was good. And so they're now able to go out and show like actual evidence in Oregon uniforms, in this system, hey, like this is what we're talking about when we say we can scheme you up. Like It's not going to 100% be just this. We're going to expand on it. We're going to have more. We're going to make some adjustments. But this gives you an idea of what we're talking about and when we're, when we're selling you on our offense. Because I can guarantee you other programs right now across the country and in the Pac-12 are negative recruiting Oregon for that very thing. Hey, why would you go to Oregon? They've got a first time new, you know, OC. You don't know what the offense is going to be like. Are they really going to get you into space and scheme it up like they say they are? Well, that Oregon has some kind of substantial evidence to back that 
claim up. So I, I, I buy that question. Like, yeah, this was important. This was, you know, a, a, a moment for Oregon's coaching staff to, to show off from a recruiting standpoint what their offense is going to be like. Is it groundbreaking and all of a sudden all these recruits are going to come? No. But it's going to help alleviate some of the negative recruiting that they are getting hit with by other schools. I mean, it was obviously extremely important that Kenny Dillingham come out and show off the offense. And for me, I look at it from more of more than just a, a like a recruiting perspective because for years now, you know, coming into a spring camp with a new offensive coordinator, we've heard former Oregon players and sometimes current Oregon players talk about how, well, you know, this time the offense is different. This time the scheme is different. This time we're going to be doing X. We're going to be doing Y. We're no longer going to be doing Z. Um, this was what spring camp was about. There was a lot of talk like that. Um, we, we didn't get to see any of the scrimmages. We didn't get to see barely any of the 11 on 11. So every time a player, a tight end, a wide receiver running back would say that, you know, we're, they're passing more, uh, you know, we're trying to stretch the field vertically. You had to take them on their, on their word for it, even though in years prior, it would just be the same offense with a new head, a new offensive coordinator's name plaque on the door. Same offense, though. The this is a complete turnaround. It's like just going on. If you were to watch the 2021 spring game and the 2022 spring game, you would think that there was some sort of systematic change, and there certainly was. And I think that's extremely important because you look at how Seven McGee played on Saturday and think to yourself, how did somebody underutilize that kid that much? Because He's going to be electric. He's going to be a problem. And when you pair him up with Troy Franklin and Dante Thornton and or Chris Hudson or Josh Delgado, whoever is on the field with him, he's going to be a matchup nightmare. And then Oregon brings in somebody like Noah Whittington, who is just a hard runner. You have Sean Dollars coming back from injury. And Byron Cardwell didn't even play, which we'll get to eventually. But for Kenny Dillingham to come out there, and throw a shot on the first game, or the, excuse me, the first play of the game. I think that sent the message, um, and I think that sent the message for Oregon fans. I think that sent the message for the Pac-12 in terms of, yeah, you guys didn't know what I could do. Here is what I could do, and I have a quarterback who I know, who trusts, who trusts me, and I trust him right now as QB one and Bo Nix, and we're going to take shots down the field, and that's going to mean that we'll have mistakes, but it's also going to mean that we're going to have a lot of successes, and I think. As an Oregon fan, you'll take Bo Nix or Ty Thompson or Jay Butterfield, you know, taking a shot 50, 60 yards down the field and trying to get a touchdown, and maybe it's an interception, than a four-yard out route where somebody jumps jumps the line and picks off a pass from Anthony Brown or a third and nine run up the middle. So I think it was important. It still is important. I think continuing forward, it will be important that Kenny Dillingham show that he can move around the offense like he did on Saturday. Third one from at BFOTEF1. No idea if I got that name right. Um, guessing that's first and last name there, uh, first initial last name, but maybe not. What do you guys think the running back distribution will be like? Kind of an open-ended question here, which I like. It's good makes for good talk. Um, not having Byron Cardwell out there probably diminishes some of the conversation we can have here, but yeah. of the quarter of the running backs who are on the roster, he's the one we have the most inside knowledge of so having watched him this spring. I thought he was pretty impressive. I, I thought something we didn't see a lot of from him a year ago was just his value as a pass catcher out of the backfield. 
Um, and that made sense because Travis Dye was so darn good in that area that it wouldn't necessarily make sense to have the true freshman take over some of those roles. But I, I think Byron will be the, I'm going to guess here because we have to go through the offseason and fall camp and maybe things will feel different. I, I, my sense is still that Byron's the number one and that he'll play probably more snaps than these other two. I think the thing for me, and maybe it, it maybe it's a little bit of a parallel to quarterback where I think Sean Dollars had three really nice runs of over 10 yards. Whittington had a 45-yard run and ran really well. Like, to me, those guys are probably on a little bit closer even footing than I had anticipated. Um, I'd still probably lean Dollars if I was to pick, like, on a hierarchy on our depth chart we'll do here. Probably still have Dollars on nose ahead of Whittington. But, like, I, I think Whittington, somebody's going to come in and contribute. I think he'll play. I think he might play quite a bit. Um I think he might play quite a bit on passing downs. You know, I think it was sort of notable, and I don't, I don't think it's entirely the fault of the running back, but the green team protected its quarterback a lot better than the yellow team did, and Whittington was the running back on the green team. And as we talked about before, Whittington comes from an offense at Western Kentucky that set, I think, like the NCAA record for most pass attempts in a season. So he certainly has some experience trying to protect a passer. He's had a lot of reps to do that with. Um, so for me, like, I think my big takeaway from the spring game was probably like, and just from the spring in general is Whittington's addition was met with some, I guess, concern and confusion just because he didn't have a huge track record. Doesn't, wasn't a household name. I think he's somebody who's going to contribute. And I think along with dollars, those two are going to be very capable number twos. And I think when Jordan James arrives here in the summer, I'm expecting he will feel like probably the number four and maybe a somewhat distant number four behind those two, unless he comes out and is incredibly um, effective right away, which is also possible considering his recruiting ranking. But for me, I think it's still Cardwell, Dollars, Whittington, and then James. Yeah, I think Whittington showed that he should play. He needs to, he needs to play. Um, and I think Dollars was effective enough where – the, the idea that, hey, if he can get back to pre-injury status, he's going to play too. I think we saw that as well. So, um, no Cardwell makes things a little interesting. It would have been nice to, to be able to compare what he could do compared to the other two. Um, but I, I think the expectation is, is in my eyes at least, that this is a three-man rotation. They're, they're going to rotate three guys. Cardwell is probably going to be the starter. One week, it, it may be Sean Dollars that, that gets – the second most workload on the roster and, you know, goes for close to a hundred yards, has a good game. And then the very next week, it could be Whittington that gets, you know, the hot hand and, you know, gets the bulk of the second carries, or maybe even shows up and, and equals or bests Cardwell as the number one, you know, guy for carries in that particular game. So I think you walk out of spring feeling like, Hey, you, you went in really concerned about the depth. Um, you saw some positive things with dollars. Whittington looks to be the part to, to play at this level. I'm not going to say he's going to be a superstar, but he looks like he can hold his water. And now Jordan James shows up, and you don't have to have him be a guy unless he's ready to do it. And if he is, awesome. Your room gets even better now. But when he signed, I looked at it as like, he needs to be ready. He needs to play, whether – they want him to, or they, they need, you know, if he's ready for that role, he needs to play. And now I don't feel like that's entirely the case anymore. If he is perfect, great. Awesome. But he doesn't need to be anymore. This is a pretty clear one, two, three in my eyes. I think it's Cardwell dollars, Whittington. 
I think they're all capable running backs. And just like Matt said, winning didn't show that enough that he can, you know, perform at the NCAA like Division One Power Five level. Coming over from Western Kentucky, um, you know, I like how he's run so far in the spring camp. Uh, I like how Dollars looks. I've liked how he's looked for the whole entire spring camp. I think he's got still has a lot of potential, a lot of talent to use. Um, although Cardwell didn't play in the spring game, like I mentioned before, and like we've all mentioned, um, I still think he's the number one guy. He has the, the biggest track record coming back. I think he has the, the biggest versatile, versatility in his game in terms of running the ball down the hill, going outside the tackles, catching the ball in space, creating opportunities for himself in one-on-one situations. I still think he's the best guy of the group. Um, but that doesn't mean that I don't think Dollars or Whittington could go off for a game. Uh, I think it's a clear three running back rotation. Um, I think Jordan James is going to get a lot of playing time too, just because yeah, there's never no such thing as, as no injuries in college football. And yep. This is a position groups who, if one goes down, then their depth really starts to lack. Um, they still are really lacking right now, only having four scholarship running backs. So Jordan James still yet to come to campus. So I think it's going to be a four-guy rotation when the season starts. But right now, it's a pretty clear one, two, three in my eyes. Um, I think that's not a bad thing. I think they can all do similar things. I think Whittington is more valuable on like a third down and long. Um, I think he's got a good ability to, to catch a ball out of the backfield and maybe make some people miss. And, you know, worst case, I think Oregon's offense could do some packages like we've said in the past and maybe throw seven McGee in the backfield or something like that. Um, use Terrence Ferguson or Maliki Montevall as that fullback capability, that option. Um, and we'll see. I think it'll be a pretty creative in how they use their three running backs, try to keep everybody fresh because they really – you know, for the time being, only have three running backs, and that's not a, not a great place to be in. By the way, can we mention one thing before we go to break? Uh, mm-hmm. They went under center. Yeah. They did. The offense went under center. That's something I don't know when the last time I saw like that happen, especially in a spring game, which is, you know, I'm not saying it's not, you're not putting everything in or everything, but like you, you typically don't, I don't know, I just haven't seen them go under center in such a long time. It was kind of jarring, and then to have some success with it, I can't think of the last time that happened. And it was, I mean, this, uh, Dillingham had already said this was going to be an element that they were going to utilize. Um, I know Rich Brooks on the broadcast was thrilled about it. seems like he and maybe Jerry, Jerry Thompson are aligned in their uh, uh, affection for under center plays. Um, and I don't think it's a bad thing necessarily because it's just something Oregon hasn't done in such a long time. And the fact that we didn't see any of this, but that there is an H-back role, a fullback kind of pseudo role, and as as Jared said, like you could see Ferguson or Mont- I think Montevel is probably a better fit for that H, to be honest. Mm-hmm. But you could see or a Tyler Nanny, just like a bigger body guy. You could see one of those guys. Yeah, give give some walk on tight end love. Um, you could see one of those guys as a lead blocker in a way that would just be a little bit more of a traditional something you would have seen from you know Mike Bellotti pre Chip Kelly era Oregon football, which is kind of fun. Yeah, kind of fun. Two thousand six is. I, I mean, I. I don't remember every single snap, every <laughs> single game, but I would imagine that Chip Kelly's when he showed up in 2007 is when Oregon went away from under center for good. Um, so maybe Gary Crowton 2006, which was the last time Oregon had a losing season, or they had a losing season a couple uh, 2016. So, but yeah, that was that was not a good year of of college football uh for for Oregon 2006 um 
All right, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll finish up this mailbag. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation. All right, welcome back to the Odds and Audibles podcast. Three questions in. We got a couple more questions left uh, to wrap up this, this episode. Fourth uh, question from at ET underscore phone underscore home 94. Love it. Classic <laughs> cinema. What else are you going to ask for? <laughs> I wasn't expecting to get a Spielberg reference here. Um, <laughs> where do you see Funa and Ajax fitting into the landing scheme? These are experienced, big, athletic dudes, neither of whom appear to have a clear path to starting. Could we see a transfer? Hashtag Odds and Audibles. Um, Ajax moved inside to inside linebacker earlier in the spring. Mm-hmm. I didn't watch the game totally focused on where number 29 was. I think that would be where he was playing primarily. Jared, you might have better yep. eyes on that. Yeah. Um, so that's a better fit in terms of that personnel package is on the field more frequently than the one or it seems to be right now. It seems like they're running like a base four two five, from what I can tell, um, which is kind of eliminating a little bit of what the position Mace has played, which is like a Sam outside linebacker. Um, so I think that part, like, I don't think Mace is going anywhere. I would be really surprised. Like, he's a pretty a focal point of, of this defense. He's been a starter for several years. He's, a, I think, a very capable player. Um, a player who, again, we don't have weights, but, like, I think he's transformed his body. Like, he looks – slim down but also still really cut and i think athletically he's been a little bit more agile or maybe more fast sideline to sideline so i would be stunned if he's a portal entry um ajax is a guy that when dan Lanning was hired he's one of the first people persons i thought of because i thought man he could fit like he has i'm not the comparison is very very vague i don't want it to be misconstrued but like the nicobe dean athleticism to just sprint full speed sideline to sideline he is an athlete like that again not Clearly, he's had issues with some of the other stuff that makes – because he came in as a safety, and I think even four years into this, he's struggling to be a linebacker, if I'm being honest. At least that's my perspective on Adrian Jackson. Um, But the fact that he kind of is still as an inside guy, and I guess we should know, like the guys ahead of him have been playing the position longer, but he's probably – what would you say, Jared? Fifth amongst the inside linebackers, even if we're we're not including Justin Flo? I mean, because I think you've still got Noah, Bossa, Keith Brown, and LaDuke all above Adrian Jackson. Um, and so for him, like, I, I, and again, I don't want to like suggest he's transferring because I don't think that's fair ever, but like, I do think it's like, I, I expected he would be somebody who we were talking about a little bit more after the spring game than where we are right now, where it does feel like he's kind of lost in no man's land. Funa, I understand the concern. Cause again, that Sam position isn't being utilized. Um, and there might be a different name for it under landing scheme, but like that kind of an outside traditional outside linebacker role has kind of been, it's not eliminated. It's just 
not the primary package that they're in most of the time from what we've seen. So I, it's kind of maybe a little bit confusing, but I also feel like we'll at times this season see him play a lot depending upon matchups. So Funa is not someone I would anticipate going anywhere. Um, and I don't want to say Jackson will either. I just, I get the question more with Adrian Jackson because it, it does feel like you look up and go, this is your four or five for him. And he's still probably not even in the two deep right now. I mean, that right there kind of tells you, I mean, you certainly see guys that after year four, year five, year three, things click and they instantly shoot up. Um, or you see guys just stacked behind a loaded position group of NFL players. But I don't want to just just drag on Adrian Jackson, but at the same time, like, it's what, you're four, and he's still – not in the two deep yet. It, it it's times now or never. If, if if it doesn't happen this season, you know, unfortunately, it's it's probably not going to work out for him to be you know a big time player at Oregon, which is fine. Which is you know it happens, and that's why to big picture wise, real quick, that's why it's so important to recruit at a high level because you're gonna have four four and five star guys that don't live up to expectation, and you know. You're going to have some three-star guys that play above water, but for the most part, um, you you want to recruit the best players so that when when you do have someone miss, it's a four-star playing more like a three-star instead of a three-star playing like a, a FCS level guy. This is fifth year, by the way, Jared. Go ahead. Yeah, uh, this I feel like this question might have been reactionary for the spring game where there wasn't a lot of Mace Funa. Um, Mace didn't participate in Thursday's practice. It could have been the fact that he was maybe under the weather like a couple other Oregon players have been, um, and he didn't play that much in the spring game. Um, but of the two, if you really had to pick and choose, you would probably go with Adrian Jackson. But, again, I don't like to you know say that anybody's going to transfer or anything like that. I hope that Adrian Jackson doesn't transfer because I do like his skill set. And he's been – you know, he had he had a very good year in 2019 under Andy Avalos, and then the defensive coordinator switch in 2021 kind of threw him in the deep deep bowels of the depth chart. And that outside linebacker, that Sam role, where Mace Funa I thought played really well. Um, this season, you have Adrian Jackson in that inside linebacking role that really fits his skill set. The problem is, is that it seems like from a concept level, he struggles. There's never been anything wrong with Adrian Jackson's physical prowess. He's always been one of the better athletes on the team um, and one of the more fun athletes to watch, frankly, when you get him in space as a defensive player. Um, but, yeah, he's probably fifth or sixth on the depth chart right now. And that's, you know, if you don't want to include a Devin Jackson or a Harrison Taggart um, and a lot of the guys in front of him, you're not going – you're probably not going to be making up ground on. And so I guess that's where you would look – if it's a, a possible transfer, but again, don't like to talk about that. Like that's his decision. If it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, it doesn't. I wouldn't like to see it. Um, but I think the, the, the Dan Lanning, the Tosh Lupoi defense really feeds on players who can cover both sides of the field and, you know, in one fell swoop, somebody who can go out in coverage and then rush the passer at the same time. Um, players like that, are somebody like Adrian Jackson. And I think he could do really well in this defense. It's just that 
Oregon the last few years, because of their defenses in the past, have really hit the recruiting trail hard on linebackers. And eventually, when people are healthy, um, it's going to pay off and it's going to show off when you know Oregon has five guys, six guys that if you see on the field, you're going to be extremely comfortable with them playing um, instead of just one or two, like it what has been for a couple of years in the past. I had one last thought and then we'll get to the last question. Um, mm-hmm. This felt like, you know, for Adrian moving inside, the fact that Flo didn't play, Sewell and Bassa, I think, played pretty limited number of snaps. I know they weren't on the same team as they were on separate teams. So that there was, it wasn't like everybody on his team at inside linebacker wasn't playing. But it felt like this was maybe an opportunity for Adrian Jackson to pop a little bit. And yet I think he had a couple tackles and was out there. He's definitely out there playing. It's just it didn't jump out at you the way you kind of would hope somebody with his skill set would. And that's not necessarily a big knock on him. We don't want to make too much out of a spring game because it's, again, there's a ton of other things that are going to matter more. And we might get to fall camp. And this whole discussion might seem really silly because he might be somebody who completely elevates himself, buys into the defense, figures everything out and comes out. And it's like, oh, Adrian Jackson's actually pushing for, you know, to be not only in the two deep, but maybe the challenge to really be on the field a lot. Um, But certainly I think you come out of this feeling just a little bit wary of kind of where his role is and and kind of what it is going forward. All right. Last one from at Tristan underscore Carell. I-22. How awesome was it to see Justin Flo sprinting out of the tunnel, even if he didn't play? Same with Dante Manning, hashtag outs and audibles. Yeah, um, I missed it at the stadium because it's I didn't have my binoculars directly on the guys running out. But when you watched it on replay of the team running out, I thought it was notable. Manning was like front and center. He was running, obviously not full speed, but he was running pretty easily with that leg brace. Obviously got out of the way of everybody else and went to the sideline because he wasn't playing and he wasn't dressed in pads and everything. It's like another good sign, right? I mean, like we haven't heard from Dan an update on Dante. Um, I'm not sure if it's the Mario Cristobal, we'll get it to you later thing of with injury. <laughs> never hear anything until we ask about it again. Um, but I found that to be pretty encouraging regarding Dante because that injury when the guy comes out on a wheelchair after a scrimmage is typically that's like pretty concerning, obviously. Don't know everything to make of it. We don't have like a full diagnosis dan hasn't again really mentioned it since about two weeks ago but i found that one encouraging and then flow going through warm-ups as well we didn't not it's not just that he went out of the tunnel it's that he was warming up and looked like he might take part a little bit like that was encouraging and i think for justin i'm guessing he's pretty close to being back but the last thing you want to do is with his career the way it's gone is somehow he re-injures a foot in a spring game like this so um, man, you just hope he can be healthy because I know it was rewatching the game a couple. I guess it would have been Sunday, and Nick Aliotti talking about how a year ago in the spring game, and I had kind of forgotten about this, how good Justin Flo had been. I went back and mm-hmm. kind of caught some of those highlights, and it's like, yeah, he was awesome there. And you go back and you watch those Fresno State highlights, it's like, gosh, this guy is so gifted. You just want him out there. So be cautious as you. I think you have to be as cautious as you can because if you can somehow, and somehow sounds pejorative probably, but like if you can get him through a full season healthy he can be really effective and you can have one of the better linebacking duos in the country. And it's possible he develops himself into a position where he is looked at as a early draft pick as soon as next spring, just based upon the kind of athlete he is and, 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 the, and the respect he has nationally as a recruit coming in. So I, I continue to be really encouraged by the flow stuff. I just am hoping and knocking on all wood in my apartment that we get through the season and he's still able to play when you get into December or, or maybe January. 
do we feel like Flo is a guy where it's hey, there's we know what he can do. Don't don't risk it. Or would there have been value in him playing? Like, there's no I, value in him playing. It's a, it's a spring game. I think you don't risk it at all. The same with same with any like you know Christian Gonzalez played a bit, but he didn't play that long. You just it's a spring game. It's fun for the fans. It's just another scrimmage. If they wouldn't have played him last Saturday, there's no reason to play him this Saturday. All right. All right. I mean, I think it's I, – I would have – I mean, if he could have played, I would have liked to see him do a little bit, but that's here and there. I don't think it's that big of an issue. But um, I just don't think he's – I just don't think he's there yet where we can say he's automatically just going to be really good. And, you know, playing in a spring game isn't going to, you know, 15 snaps isn't going to change that idea one way or the other. So, while yeah, I probably wouldn't have played him. But I just don't think he's at a point where it's an injury standpoint where, like a a Popo. Like, Popo didn't play, and and you don't know what his injury is or Dorless. But, like, we know what those guys can do. Um, you know, playing a spring game isn't an opportunity to get him reps to see what he can do in this situation and evaluate him based off that. Like, those are guys that are established. I just don't think Flo is an established guy. Like, he's he, very special talent. He's played really good in the game and a half that he's played at Oregon, two games that he's played at Oregon. I just don't think we can lump him with like a Sewell where. No, he, no matter what, he's going to be good. Um, I'm just maybe I'm a little pessimistic of just him instantly showing up and being really good. Yeah, I, I think I, I, I don't I know. I feel think like he can go ahead, I, I was going to say I think he can show up and be pretty damn good all the time. Um, I mean, he's. I, I mean, I know he's only played his two games, and that's a, certainly a good reason to be pessimistic about it. But he's one of the most physically, you know, gifted players on the roster. Um, honestly, all you have to do is roll back the tape from that Fresno State game and just see his ability to impact the field all over the place, you know, on the perimeter, inside the line, rushing the quarterback, dropping back into coverage. Um, I think he's worthy of, of not taking the risk on because, like Eric said, if he plays one good, fully healthy season, he plays his way into being like a day one NFL draft pick because of his physical prowess, because of his intangibles, because of his speed, his size, his length his ability to hit in, in coverage and in space. You know, he's he's got it all from – and that's why, you know, I think it was Greg Biggins who was like the lead um, lead uh, scout evaluator for Justin Flo said he was one of the best linebackers he's ever seen at the high school level. And he – in his first fully healthy game at Oregon where he starts – doesn't even start a linebacker, he comes in with 15 tackles. So I think he's extremely impressive – I think he's a guy you don't take any chances on. I think the spring game, the fact that Oregon got out of there with no injuries in general, no like significant injuries, even though Jackson Powers Johnson was rolled up on and would look to be a serious injury is not a serious injury, according to Coach Lanning. Um, I think that's great. I think there's no reason to try and um, try and show that somebody can still go out there and hit people. Uh, you know, if, if there's a chance that it's taken, I think that that's just not a good idea to do it, especially a spring game where realistically it doesn't matter. It's a glorified scrimmage, but we all love it. I, I have just to t- attach on to the defensive line stuff. I'm 
so bummed that we don't have an idea more of how this yeah. will work out with those three guys. And that's, again, I'm, I'm with Matt of like Popo's established, Brandon Dorless is established. We know who they are. Um, I just, I was um, trying to think about a couple of days ago after that, I think Jared and I were talking about this of like, what would you do for a two deep on the defensive line considering like DJ Johnson is going to have to be in that group. Right. Um, Brandon Dorless was an all first team all conference guy. He has to be there. Sam Taimani is your like your most, you know, he is a nose tackle that by definition in a way that isn't Um, like Popo needs to probably be up in that conversation, but he and Taki are, probably battling for it and they're both really really accomplished players who have different body types and it's possible Taimani is a better fit um Trevin Maia looks great Braden Swinson looks great I haven't even mentioned Keanwar Hudson like I think there are so many dudes on that defensive line that it's like gosh it's 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 such a bummer we didn't get to see a little more of those those three injured players take part this spring again I'm with Matt and, and Jared of like I think you don't play these guys because you want them to be healthy for the fall obviously but from just like an evaluating what this group is like it's kind of a bummer because there i think oregon's got a really really deep exciting defensive line group but i really don't have a great feel especially with them playing four down front which is different than the last couple of years so personnel wise i don't know exactly where brandon fits or where popo fits or where keon fits i, I just am really excited for that going into the fall but i kind of come out of spring being like i feel like there's a ton of bodies there and i love a lot of the players i just don't know how it all works together yet it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm with you, Eric, in that I, I think they've got a lot of dudes along the D-line, and it would have been awesome to be able to compare just the progress that those younger, that the older guys have and compare them to like a Sam um, and, and just see where Sam fits. I mean, he, he graded out really good from pro football focus, and we can argue at a different time the fidelity of PFF. Um, but he graded out really good. And they've got three of the five best interior defensive linemen from last season on their roster now. And I, I, I think to answer your question, Eric, they're going to rotate quite a bit. And it, it wouldn't surprise me if you pick six guys that are your main six for three positions. And it wouldn't surprise me if it's like seven starts, five starts, you know, another position's got four, four, and three, or what have you, like, that, we could see a, a consistent rotation of different starting lineups along the D-line. I think that's what will happen, too, because you really do have a bunch of guys who could go in there and make an impact. I'm, I think I'm more interested in seeing what they do with, like, the other edge position, like, opposite of DJ Johnson, because he played with his hand in the ground for what felt like on like my brief rewatch of the game, like for 90% of the snaps or something like that. And so I'm wondering on the other side, what you do with someone like a Braden Swinson, a Trevin Mai, Jake Shipley, uh, you know, Mace Funa, Brandon Buckner, like, is it really a four, two, five? Is it like a three, 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 five? Like, I, I don't know. I think it'll be kind of fun to watch and, and see what happens, but, Sadly, we don't get to see any more of that. We don't get to go to practice anymore and go watch the seven near the 12 plays that go by in four minutes. And really, as we all scramble to try to write this down, have no actual idea of what's going on. So it's going to be a shame that we can't see that stuff anymore, truly, or watch warm-ups and the flex period and indie drills. It's a shame. 
It's going to do it for us here on the Awesome Audibles podcast. Thank you for listening to the show. Thank you for submitting your questions. Uh, if we didn't read yours, submit it again, or maybe we'll save it for next week. Uh, we'll do another mail back next week. Until then, you've been listening to the Awesome Audibles podcast. Talk to you later, folks. Peace.